Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Lewis. Welcome to another Roll Route, the program where we gather even the day after Christmas 2022. And when we do, we continue to address the issues between food producers and food consumers. Checking in like clockwork on a Monday. Hank Bogler, North Spring Valley, Nevada. How's Christmas in Nevada? Uh, compared to what we see on the news, everything east of us and north of us, it was wonderful. <laughs> I mean, we were in the low 30s and, and high teens, never had, you know, uh, anything. Just pretty decent weather, not quite wearing our shorts and tank tops, but by golly, comparative to what you guys went through. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Yeah. We had two days of wind chill at uh, 45 below. Christmas Day, yesterday afternoon, it finally, I mean, yesterday was horrendous, even though the temperatures were higher. We had this blustery south wind all day, and then about 4 o'clock it quit. And from 4 to, and it got up to 30 degrees, and so from 4 till I came in about 7, it was pretty darn comfortable. I didn't even want to come in then. Yeah. And then overnight it picked back up from the north, and uh, I was just happy to see an, a positive six on the thermometer this morning. I went chill about fifteen below. Wow! And and like you know, I'll never free, I'll never get over the fact that when we were missing three hundred head of sheep and flying for them and running around doing everything in the world, and we were standing on top of them about three hundred yards from the camp. Yeah. I, I just, I just shudder to think what's going to happen when they start digging in them snowbanks. Yeah. Um, I, with, with me whining, I'm, I'm whining about what the temperatures were, my waters. We, because we live in a desert, Hank, and we can't get any precipitation whatsoever. We had maybe three inches of snow. You go a hundred miles from here and then for a long ways, there are people with two to three feet before all of that happened, and it's just miserable. Plus, on the other end of the coast, uh, Texas, along the southeastern part of the United States, over into Florida, all the way up into New England and Buffalo, they don't have electricity. 1.5 million people without 1.5 million households without electricity on Christmas Eve. And uh, I hope that everybody takes a moment to think about why are we vulnerable all of a sudden on our electric grid? Well, maybe we've always been vulnerable, but this movement away from reliable energy sources will have consequences. Well, didn't a couple of years ago, didn't they have all this trouble in Texas with their windmills getting iced up and quitting? Is that the same thing that's going on this time or just everything? Yeah, so that, that was February, the third week of February 2020, and uh, we were 22 below that, that week. That was our last cold snap before this week. And what they reported is that Texas had a, a one-in-a-thousand-year ice storm, and it caused all these problems. Yeah, well, they did have that, but what they didn't tell you or anybody else is that Texas ha has known that if they are more than 24% dependent of their energy supply from wind and solar, that they're vulnerable. At that time, they were at about 27%. Now they're 35%. So it, 
So it's 100% the fact that they do not have a reliable source of electricity anymore. There's so many people getting subsidies for wind and solar. They're knocking out natural gas, coal, and even nuclear power sources, and they will pay the price. All the experts I've, I've interviewed them on this program, they will pay the price. Texas will pay the price, and we're not paying attention. Well, things like this hopefully will jar somebody's noggin enough to where somebody tries to do something about it. I mean, it's just ridiculous to continue, you know, <laughs> what is it? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And that's what we're dealing with. So. Well, I talked about it on Loose Tales today, and I put it in the frame of the... Um, you know, the horse that bucks you off, usually you had one or two warnings before it actually happens. Like the last real good horse wreck I had was a year and a half ago. And uh, I got on a young colt that I had 90 days on or so. And he he gave me a little warning. He did this little crow hop buck thing like he really meant business. And I walked him out of it, you know, nothing flat. Well, I didn't do anything about it, Hank. Instead of going back to round print ground zero next time i got on and i didn't even remember getting on four hours later i was talking to landry but it was because i got a warning and i didn't heed the warning well i always hearken back to big bill wilson patty murphy bucked him off a hundred times now i think after about 10 i think i'd been trying to figure something out different but he stuck with it <laughs> and patty murphy was a good old horse but boy when he wanted to fire now he could fire and and his son jigs was the same way i mean just absolutely he was the best horse that, that a, a cow outfit ever had as long as you didn't leave him up for wrangle he was stout he could do anything in the world but you left jigs up for wrangle and he would just hang his head over the gate out in the wrangle field and just stare it wouldn't eat wouldn't drink water nothing just stare and then whoever the poor fool would go out to saddle him up to go wrangle the horses i guarantee you what if he made her uh jigs could have went to the national finals i believe he could really buck and then when it and when he bucked you off he didn't quit he bucked all the way out to where the horses are at and, and wrangled the horses. I think if you just turned old Jigs out, he'd have brought them in just because you <laughs> left him up. <laughs> Boy, he drove many, especially somebody, some wannabe with a brand new squeaky saddle show up and start telling you about all the, his bravado of breaking horses and riding coats and yeah, boy, I could twist a knot on them, by golly, I'll tell you. Well, they'd find out really quick. Somebody would go slip old Jigs into the corral, and he just thought he hated it. You could just tell. <laughs> yes, well, sir. there's something about the, the psychology of the mind of the horse, and you do this. Well, we all do it because we have to at some point, but if you have, a, and it doesn't really matter if it's a green broke or not, but you put them back with the herd and they revert back to that mentality of they're running out there in the range. Yeah. Not, I mean, it takes a special, I had a friend who had a stud once. He literally would let that stud out in the pasture with my cows, 
breeding mares, including my mares, he'd go catch that stud in the middle of a thousand acre pasture, throw a saddle on him, ride him at a team pinning, bring him back and put him out there. That just doesn't happen often. When they, when you put them out with that herd, they're ready to run and buck and kick. Oh, you bet. That, that's the way old Sugar Nuff was. <laughs> the kids would go out in the field with a piece of baler twine and get him in a ditch right out of the mares. <laughs> and two or three of them would get on him, and, and one of them would lead him off. And you could go ride him all day long, buckaroo on him, take him to a rope, pack a deer. I don't care what you wanted to do. Old Sugar would go right along with it. And you'd turn him back out. He'd go out and take care of his girls. But he, he was just a one in a million, I guarantee you. Yes, sir. And not all genetics pass on because uh, I raised several colts out of that horse called BB. And... Um, I thought, yeah, this is going to be easy. They're going to be just like BB. Well, the first one was black like the black stallion, and I called him Twister because it's the only horse I saw from the ground looking up, just like I do a tornado. So I called him <laughs> Twister when he went over me. Uh, yes, yeah, sir. No, old Shug was special. I didn't know. Well, I reckon that's how I got his name, Shug, because, I mean, you don't call it the devil, Shug. Hank Vogler, we've already packed. Ask through our first quarter. We'll be back with more Rural Route Day After Christmas after this. Off the bat today, we want to talk about a free and fed America that involves harvest and harvest series sponsored by Protect the Harvest only makes sense because, folks, there's a lot involved in feeding the world. And we had an infrastructure put in place that makes it happen. That's why we say to maintain a free and fed America, we need to empower ourselves with information. Too many people just don't seek the information. And nobody's going to do it for you. So Protect the Harvest does not do it for you, but we do it with you. We do it with you to preserve property rights so that we can maintain that free and fed America. Details about empowerment can be found on the web at www.protecttheharvest.com. I'm looking forward to being in Tennessee next week, and we'll have some new updates on everything happening in Protect the Harvest. Uh, just trust me, that'll be a great time to get all of the updates. In the meantime, get on the newsletter, go to the social media avenues, any place you want to find information about empowering yourself, protecttheharvest.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis, Hank Boger. Only makes sense this week that we would talk about all the great horses in Hank's life. Last week we talked about all the great cowboys like Sheep Dip. That was a week's <laughs> worth of entertainment for me. <laughs> yes, sir, Bob. Oh, yeah. We used to have fun. And now today, you wouldn't dare do anything like that. They'd, why, they'd sue you for $85.5. So. Yeah. Uh, you had a checkup at the hospital. How'd that all go? Uh, well, uh, the lady said lean back, and she pulled the catheter out, and uh, my eyes crossed. <laughs> but I'm, I think I'm on the mend. I, I, I think I'm on the mend. I'm a little bit humbled by the fact that I'm wearing a man diaper. 
I started that out that way years ago and I kind of got over it and now I'm right back at it. <laughs> you outgrew but, it then, you'll outgrow it now. Oh no, it's just, you know, the alternative is grim. I, you know, the, the most important thing is you hope that they got it all. And then I've got to go in in February and uh, then they'll give me some tests to see that they did get it all. And if they did, well, then probably every six months or so I'll have to go in and get a check for a couple of years. And so uh, hope springs eternal. So, Yeah. Well, we just celebrated that everlasting light, no matter what. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and again, it's uh, it's kind of strange. They said showed on TV that in Japan on Christmas everybody goes to McDonald's and eats chickens. Have you ever seen a nativity scene with chickens in it? <laughs> no. So and there's a cow in it and a donkey, but I have never seen no a chicken in this deal. Well, so, I got I got another little bit of bad news for you. Uh -oh. There's there's never been a pig in a nativity scene either. Well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? 17 countries around the world, turkey was their primary meat of choice for Christmas dinner. But 23 countries mostly served pork <laughs> for their Christmas dinner. Sure, go ahead and kick me guts while I'm down. I don't care. <laughs> I'll just say, and by the way, it's not Christmas ham because we're talking, well, your Peruvians probably a good example because Peru was on the list. Uh, suckling pig is the most common, roasting a, a small pig. Huh. Wow. So they, they, they eat guts, feathers and all then, huh? Yeah. I, I found that interesting. I used that statistic a lot. Well, and, and uh, China, I'm sure, would be on that list of the Christians that are allowed to practice there. 250 million people have come down with COVID over there. It just shows you that all that isolation and all that crap doesn't work. Ways yeah. of families down with it. Uh, they've lost one relative. Uh, her dad will be 90 next month, and, and uh, he's getting over it, and so is her mom, but they're pretty active people even for their age so uh but and it's just like this country you know it if that's where it came from the wuhan lab and and fauci and those guys were in on it and the chinese were in on it and you know it in a way it, it's a terrible thing to say but hey you know you play with fire you can get burned and that's what's going on it went around the world and it came right back to the original source and unfortunate as it is, uh, you know, don't play with fire unless you plan on getting back away from the heat. So you make it sound like down. they you make it sound like they thought it was an accident. <laughs> yeah, you better bet you it was that. Yeah. Come from a bat out of a wet market. Well, let me tell you what wet markets are. I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you're in Cuba. If you look around, you will find a black market. You will find people trading goods and services. Everywhere in the world, I don't care if you go to China, Russia, 
Ukraine, I don't care where it is, there is a black market where you can get things at a price. Well, now, Trent, in, in, in the definition in the dictionary, I think that's called capitalism. And all this government control, that's what it is. It's Communism is government control. And we're zooming towards that in this country now that they're finding out that all these different social platforms were all tied up with the government suppressing information. Whether it was good or bad or liberal or conservative, they were suppressing information. That's the scary part. But wet markets in China, you go to a, it's the corner, it's the corner farmer's market is what it is. In the Soviet Union, they, they gave individual garden plots to the people. And that's where like 90% of their produce came from because they had the opportunity to get things with the things that they could produce. I mean, you cannot kill capitalism. You can make it hide, but you can't kill it. Those wet markets, there are no cash registers. There's nobody standing at the door checking you in and out like a Walmart. There, you go in there and, and you grab your head of lettuce, cabbage, or chicken, or pork, or whatever you came there that you're going to cook that day because their refrigerators, by our standards, are very archaic. And you go in and get your stuff and you get out a sack full of them yuans and you trade them up for some change in yuan out of the other pocket. And there's no receipt. There's no squat. It's just capitalism. So, yeah, yeah go ahead and tell me it come out of the wet market in a pig's patootie. Yeah, it's pretty well documented now that it did not come from a bat or a black market, wet market. No, it's, that's a crock. Yeah, it is. <laughs> hey, I had a medical doctor tell me, one that I trust actually, uh, on Friday, that the people in China who are actually testing positive now, they are euthanizing their pets. Can you confirm or deny that? Uh Way's family has a dog, and uh, I talked to him yesterday. He's the only one that speaks English. You talk to the dog. <laughs> you go, kitty, 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 and he'll look at the he'll look at the screen on the iPhone. <laughs> well, I know he speaks English. <laughs> so you don't know that to be true. I do not. I I do not. But, uh. And this may not be very nice to say, but when they weld the door shut on your apartment and you're hungry uh, mm -hmm. and and there is a, you can go to a wet market and you can buy canines. Uh, I could see how you could misconstrue that. But, uh, you know, and horse meat and just, you know, we were in we were in Australia and right next to the lamb was the kangaroo, the camel and the horse meat. Yeah. So, uh you know, protein is protein. Just if you can't, if you can't stomach the fact that you're eating trigger, uh, you're not probably going to eat it. But maybe other people will that are hungry or or like it. Well, <clears throat> it's a resource, but that gets lost in the equation because people have inherently well, lost their attachment to other people, and so they transfer those emotions to their dog or their horse. Well, and what about? all of this stuff about these chickens and turkeys. Now, it's as though we just invented this disease that comes by, they say, from the wild birds. 
uh, I'm having trouble choking that one down. If if it's a if it only affects other birds, why did we waste all of that protein? Is is it is there something wrong with me, mm-hmm. or, or or does it spoil instantly, or does it got big pustules on it or something? I mean, this something seems pretty funny. No, that no, you're, you're you're spot on, and it is hard to choke down because we're now approaching 51 million birds that have been euthanized in the calendar year 2022 in the United States alone. And what happens is they do a PCR test at the farm. The vet, local vet, will do that, and if it comes back positive or suspect, they send it to Ames to USDA lab. A USDA lab always comes back with a positive. And if they tested 10 chickens and there are 10 chickens that are sick, they come in and euthanize all 2 million of them. They don't care. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. This is a little hard to choke down. We're halfway through roll rot. We'll be back with more Hank Bugler after this. take this opportunity to invite you to Robert Farnham's wonderful outlet. It's called High Plains Cattle Supply on the hill in Brush, Colorado. I'm not sure there's a hill there. (laughs) But there is a pile of information, a pile of goods that you could use. Coyote hunting equipment, a lot of guns and ammo, and nutrition. Most importantly, you know what you get at High Plains Cattle Supply that I appreciate? Wisdom and camaraderie. That is why you'll stop by and see what's going on there. And I am halfway through numbering and selling books. Robert did a little testimonial for me. I appreciate that. We're at number 30. If you'd like to be number 30, call me today. I don't sell a book to you unless you call me and talk to me personally. You'll find my email, my phone number, whatever avenue. Stop by and say hi today. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Moose alongside Hank Vogler checking in from White Pine County, Nevada. Hey, what's Las Vegas like during Christmas weekend? I'm curious. A lot of people come here. And this year, I think they were pretty fortunate because they uh, didn't have the weather event. If you could get on a plane that could land here, you did all right. Uh, the how It was on the news, the housing sale of of housing is off 50 percent that's got to crimp a few things because all these people moving out of california to get away from california or uh moving here or were and and uh you know i i remember some very expensive interest rates and 7.75 at one time if i could got rates that low i'd have been tickled to death but um yeah the sad part is these are people wanting to get out of california so that they can turn wherever they go like the front range of colorado into california yeah i i don't get that either uh, <laughs> but i did hear the good news that mr what's his name gruesome gavin gruesome <laughs> he's not going to run in 24 so. gruesome <laughs> uh, you're probably not the first one that said that he was gruesome but that's pretty funny but, well it doesn't matter you know I mean you, uh, 
you can miss a chicken by five pounds. I was close on his name, you know, but, or his attitude. So, I no, know, actually, I don't think he missed his name at all. <laughs> I, you know, and, and they're really putting the sheep guys and the goat guys out of business down there. They've they have to now pay them overtime. They've almost doubled their wages. Uh, the restrictions are just horrific. And now we're let in 5 million people that at some point in time, I would assume they're going to have to go to work. There's somebody's going to give them some sort of a green card. And uh, I would say that it's going to hurt the lower classes worse than anything because the minimum wage jobs, they're going to be going crazy for them unless we're just going to pay them forever to, to not do minimum wage jobs and we'll have robots. Well, that's a double-edged sword. If you can't get people to show up to work, it's not the robot's fault. No, absolutely not. But the work ethic may change when the belly growls really bad. Yeah. I don't. Well, you're you're I, the first one that, that coined that phrase. When the belly bone's banging against the backbone, you got a problem. And not that yeah. the belly the belly button. I have no idea what the outcome is going to be, but the unintended consequences of uh, people from 160 countries walking across the border uh, just so you can remain in power or think you're going to remain in power, you may not. You, you may have the worst riots on your hands that you've ever imagined just because <laughs> when you start, what does it say at Yellowstone Park? Don't feed the bears. They they get dependent on you and they will not go out and forage for themselves. Well, you start giving that many million people uh, everything they need to sustain life and to reproduce um, and then take it away from them. How are you going to do that without causing trouble? And you already have a whole lower class of people that are saying, why should I work in in, in Washington State, you can get 120000 a year by not turning a leg. So, yeah, I, I used to think that that <clears throat> illegal migration was about creating chaos. I now think it's much more nefarious than that. I think they've got a plan. I think there are people in, the, in that mix that are here to cause problems, not just chaos. Well, I guess the longer you get to be around, I remember the Christmas flood of 65 and my friend and I uh, got in a rubber raft at the top of a hill in Burns, Oregon and went down the hill. That was our original intent because it was pretty cool. The water was running down the street from the top of the hill. I mean, the water was deep enough at the top of the hill, two teenage kids to be suspended in that rubber raft, but down past the show house across from Copeland's and the shell station. And the policeman was sitting there and the name was Dave Hawkins. They started hollering at us. Again, they kind of had a lockdown and we acted like we didn't hear him. So he got out of the patrol car, which was on the bank on the other side, a little higher, stepped off the curb and went into the water up to his neck. And 
it infuriated him. You can tell right away. You didn't have to look twice. Now, that was considered the 100-year flood. It took all the snow out of the mountains around Burns. Uh, actually, we couldn't get to any of the hay. We lost quite a few cows, just drowned them. And it was a dry year because all the snow that should have come melted in April and May to irrigate the fields was gone. It was in the Malheur Lake. So the, the drift of the story is this. We have these events. And we will continue to have these events. And maybe I'm being over simplistic, but what's this going to do to the winter wheat crop? What's this going to do to livestock in the Midwest? It's one that just went by. And it doesn't mean that the rest of the winter might be mild and dry. And a little drought. We've had droughts before. We have ways to get around those droughts with the Ogallala Aquifer and things like that. But we could have that 100 or 500 year event that cut our production. In Argentina right now, production is in the toilet. Well, what if that happened worldwide? You want to see some political change. You get enough people hungry and there will be political change. And, and it may not come out the way uh, people thought it ought to. Because if you got a sack full of food that you can feed your family and the government comes along and says well you got to give that to us i don't think they can get away with it and i i'm not so sure that that cataclysmic event could happen it happened what in in the 1930s we had all those droughts and dust storms and lots of things i don't know just kind of different looking so I had an email this morning from Stacy Bowman in Illinois about a family, and this is a little bitty microcosm of what you're talking about, Hank, but it's weighing heavy on my heart this morning because I've, this is a, a dairy family, the Moeller family from Strawn, Illinois. They are, you can only imagine what this family has been. I mean, they're milking 160 cows, just rich with tradition and heritage, and apparently uh, over the weekend, maybe on Friday, Thursday or Friday, uh, fire took their new freestyle barn that the cows were in. They lost everything, including the cows. And I was just thinking, I've been in these freestyle barns where the gates are, they've got gates on them where the gates are open or closed and just kind of controls and they're automatic. Well, because the electricity went out, those gates were down. The gates could not be opened, and the cows perished in that fire. I know the family lost a lot of buildings and a lot of history and heritage, but the, the fact that you lose those cows that you, you know so well, that's weighing heavy on my heart today. And again, if we had something of a larger scale, due to weather, you know, um, mm -hmm. I'm sure it's a little hard to be in North Dakota and talk about global warming right now. Um, so these things are, these things happen. Pestilence, uh, grasshoppers, all kinds of things. And, and if the moon and the stars line up, uh, we can have that happen again as it's happened in the past. The, the, Many ice age ended in about 1850. And so, yeah, the, the globe has been warming up a degree or two. Uh, things have gotten a little milder. Uh, 
So what what would happen if if we had uh, uh, freezes? There's a sign at, at, at Antelope Springs, north of Tippets, or excuse me, south of Tippets, where the pioneers used to go through there, and it was in August, and there was ice on the water bucket. Uh, what would happen if we had a cold snap from Siberia that came down and destroyed our crops? Now, I suppose the folks on Martha's yeah. Vineyard would be all right. Yeah, but the people I've been talking to that are knowledgeable about this for the last two to three years have been talking about we are east, coming back into that mini ice age. It's, it's, this should not be news to people that are paying attention. Yeah. And if now, therein, therein lies the problem, I said, for those that are paying attention. We've just been too busy to pay attention. Yeah. And and the propaganda is uh, right out of Mad Magazine. What me worry, Alfred E. Newman. I mean, you know, the government is going to take care of you. Don't you worry. Cradle to grave. You are, you are protected. We're going to help you. But we're going to help ourselves first. Yeah. Um, you know what amazes me most about this story? In particular, I'm hearkening back to your floating down the street and the police chief being upset. That was 57 years ago, and yet you remember his name like it was yesterday. Well, I can't remember what I had for breakfast either. So, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't the chief, he was the deputy. Oh, oh, well, it's... <laughs> Okay, for all you fact checkers out there that were about to pounce on your keyboard like warriors, he was the deputy chief. He wasn't the chief. No, the chief was Lloyd Larson. <laughs> Roll out more Hank Vogler after this. And I'll remember to be here at the right time. <laughs> A couple of things I want to remind you about today, and that is the... Certified Piedmontese website now has a whole new feature. One that's got me pretty excited. Right alongside Piedmontese beef, the most tender beef you can find on the planet, there's some Hawaiian coffee beans roasted in Nebraska. I mean, it makes perfect sense. If you're going to have the best beef, you need to have the best coffee. It's a diversity that's being offered at Certified Piedmontese. If you're a cattleman that would like to be a part of this diversity and get paid properly, go to the website yourself, longcreekcattleco.com. We're just weeks away now from marketing our calves, and we're going to get looking forward. Can't wait to get that premium of $180 per head. Details at longcreekcattleco.com. If you're a cattleman or if you're a consumer and like to get details, go to CertifiedPiedmontese.com. And while you're on the internet, check out the Wall of Honor. It's a place to pay tribute and give honor to those who've sacrificed for us. TheWallOfHonor.org. Welcome back. Roll route. Trentler's alongside Hank Vogler checking in north of Spring Valley, Nevada. That's White Pine County. Oh my goodness. Hank Vogler has to report to work next week. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Newly elected White Pine County Commissioner Hank Mugger being sworn in next Tuesday. On the 5th. They get sworn in on the 5th and sworn out on the 6th. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we, we'll stay tuned for that report in two weeks. I got to bring this up because you have spent more time talking about H2A workers in 18 years on this program than anybody ever knew about an H2A worker. Did you catch Biden's announcement about the H-2As from South Africa? 
uh, I knew they were trying to straighten the program out, and it was terribly disappointing, I think. But um, Leahy from New Hampshire, Vermont, or wherever he's from. Mm, Vermont. He wanted to bring in folks from South Africa, yeah. So there was a South African conference. Biden attended that. This was two weeks ago. And um, he reported that there are currently 11,000 H-2A workers from South Africa in the United States. For those that may not know, H-2A workers are temporary agricultural workers, which is what keeps Hank's sheep operation floating. Uh, Don't get focused on the word floating. Just keeps it in business. There's 11,000 South Africans, and I happen to have many friends who are now using H-2A workers from South Africa. And why are we getting H-2A workers from South Africa? Because since 1988, they've been killing, since Nelson Mandela got out of prison, they've been killing African, South African farmers left and right. I personally know six people who fled South Africa fearful for their life. One lady told me she got tired of sleeping with a shotgun. Murdering you in your home is the best thing they do to you. 5,000 people have been killed in their homes since 1988. And so there's been a migration of H-2A workers. Well, Biden announced that they've looked at the statistics and that these 11,000 H-2A workers from South Africa are 99% white. And they've taken a closer look at the population of South Africa. And South Africa is 80% black, 7% white. So from now on, the H-2A workers who come to the United States from South Africa must match the demographics of the country of South Africa. I personally thought, the first thing I thought when I heard this, I thought we made it illegal to go to South Africa, round up folks and bring them here to make them work. Well, and, and when you pick people because of the color of their skin, whether it's black, brown, or white, and that is the sole reason that you pick them to do something. That's racist, isn't it? It is, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you get around that one? And the current H-2A program does not exclude anybody from signing up that wants to come to the United States to be a worker. Uh, several years ago, there were some boys that came from, you know, South Africa has a huge fine wool sheep population or did i don't know what they've got now and uh these guys came over here to shear sheep and, and uh were traveling around on the h2a program as sheep shears and same scenario getting the heck out of there because they people were jealous of them and they were killing them because they had prospered and for and for no other reason so it's a tough deal. Well, I think Biden's going to help you get new H-2A workers. That's the moral of the story. Well, the only thing that I heard that was in the positive vein, no longer the temporary deal. In my case, the temporary deal is the most troublesome of all. Mm-hmm. If they try to enforce it. When you have people that are going in over a 200-mile loop, uh, and the country's rugged and different and you have to reinvent the wheel every 10 months with new people it's absolutely doubles your cost i mean instead of saying remember where we put the sheep cap last year on that knob 
over there by that lone pinion tree. We're going to put it there and bring the sheep or whatever. I mean, they know where to go because they were there. You know, I've have if I took the, the core people that have worked for me, they have over 100 years experience working for me, which is probably <laughs> psychologically is probably not a good deal, but they are there. <laughs> and and I, you know, that part of it, especially at my age and now my medical condition, uh, it takes a ton of worry off of me and the ranch and the animals and everything around it. Because they know what to do and where to go and how to do it. I mean, it's just, and they they switched that from a three-year contract to a 10-month contract. Now you have to sign up winter herders, summer herders. So if they eliminate that crap, you know, and, 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 and all the other technical things that keep the bureaucrats in jobs, it doesn't help the people. They're making more money than a country doctor does in Peru. And then, and their only problem is, is capitalism. They get taken away by somebody who says you can make more money working at a dairy. They don't fill in all the blanks of, of living in uh, under a bridge or something while you're milking cows and things like that. And, and your papers are no good and you're in the shadows for all those things are overlooked. But the fact that they get paid more money or at first or whatever <laughs> so yeah anything that they do is better than what they've got if they'll listen to the people yes there are bad people out there that do not take care of their men and that's a pretty dumb idea if you got men with everything that you own everything that you value in their hands and they look look up for one minute they can destroy you. And treating them poorly is about the dumbest thing you could do in my eyes. Everybody that ever worked for my grandpa knew what the bunkhouse looked like, knew what the job was by the time of the year they were looking for work. And they did it based on the fact that they had reliability and they knew what how they were treated. And if you treat somebody, give him a warm place to sleep, and feed him good, wholesome food. They have more loyalty than, than the money or anything else. So one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Sue Krenz, my friend from Arizona, sent me a link to a, an ongoing story from Wyoming, which is probably the tip of the iceberg of what people ranching on federal lands deal with. <clears throat> but there's four hunters from... Missouri that were found not guilty in a criminal charge. And now there are civil cases pending against these four hunters who crossed a corner. And it's pretty well documented, Hank, that they crossed the corner because for those that don't understand checkerboards, Hank can walk us through the checkerboard between private property and public land on the federal or state land. But the attorney and the uh, expert witness in this case is making a big deal that they crossed over. They didn't step foot on the private property in the corner. They crossed the corner in the airspace. Is this really a big deal? It is where they have the checkerboard when they put the Transcontinental Railroad through and the incentive to build roads and other facilities. Uh -huh. 
they did that. They gave every other section to the entrepreneur that was building the railroad or building the roads. Uh, they had all kinds of gimmicks to get that property into private hands to create revenue for the state, county, and federal government. So they checkerboarded it, every other section, except section 16 was the school section and 36 was the state section. And, and so there's lots of branches out there that maybe have uh, how untold number of thousands of acres, but every other section belongs to the government. And they have had the upper hand for a long time because it was very hard for the government to administer that checkerboard without some real cooperation, coordination, and consideration with the landowner of every other section. And that goes through Nevada. Nevada, instead of 12 miles, six miles each side of the right-of-way, they went 24 miles each side of the right-of-way because the, they didn't think it would create enough revenue. So they doubled uh, how much went into private. Down in White Pine County, we don't have that. They have that in Elko County, Eureka Lander, Humboldt, uh, uh, Washoe, and like that. So, yeah, it's quite a thing. And more than those hunters crossing in the air in that exact corner, to me, is the fact that now you're going to give away more control to the government. And the government is then going to be able to start dictating what you can do with your private land. That's what it looks like to me. And, and uh, I, so, every one of my fields ha has a sign on it. On every gate, it says private property, enter at your own risk. Because if you hang up signs in our country, because there's so little private land mm. and strict people from going across it or being on it, they'll kill your cattle. Uh, they'll cut your fences. They, they tear up 10 times more stuff. So you just grin and bear it. But it makes no sense whatsoever for a hunter to be anti-private property because it's the private property owner that keeps the wildlife habitat in flourishing state. Absolutely. But they have been convinced by different game commissions and government people that all of that game out there, all of those things are out there because of that wonderful, wonderful control and, and uh, jurisdiction and husbandry by the government and that is absolutely 110 percent wrong utah has got to the point where they put a bounty on coyotes because they lost their deer herds they've lost wildlife i mean this, we're trying to raise wildlife politically correct we are predators and when we allow the predators the grizzly bears the wolves all the things that we got under control why do you think the shepherds that were at Christ's birth, they were tending the flocks at night and saw the star? Well, what were they tending the flocks at night from? Predators. For goodness sakes, it didn't start yesterday. And somehow this Walt Disney, this wild kingdom view that this is balance of nature is a crock of male bovine fecal matter. And that'll do it. We've successfully journeyed down the road, connecting food producers to food consumers without saying a word that will get us kicked off of the radio airwaves. Thanks to Hank Vogler, Trent Lewis, both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a rural route where shepherds are still tending to flocks. Let's talk about electricity. 
I mentioned earlier 1.5 million households without electricity on Christmas Eve. It's because we've moved away from the reliability of coal. Life powered by coal. Details at lignite.com.